HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm your host, Capri Cafaro. Our guests this hour are both accomplished women in the culinary industry. Their stories are ones of creativity, resilience, and leadership inside the kitchen and out. I'll speak with Grace Gowdy, the executive chef at Scratchboard Kitchen, a woman-founded and operated restaurant located outside of Chicago. From journalism school to the Culinary Institute of America, Chef Grace's unique journey has influenced her approach in the kitchen. Grace brings her personal travel and family experiences to the art forms of recipe development and menu building in the restaurant. Chef Grace joins me later in the program. So now I want to welcome Lisa Ludwinski, the founder of Sister Pie in Detroit. Lisa had a storied career as a pastry chef in New York City and built upon those skills to open her own bakery with a community-focused mission in mind back in her native Michigan. Lisa, thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I full disclosure, you already know this, but my listeners do not. I got the Sister Pie cookbook when it came out a few years back, and that's how I was familiar with um, you and your work. Uh, but you have a fantastic story to tell, uh, and I'm really glad that you are going to be sharing that with our listeners today. Um, you are a Michigan native. Um, is that not right? Yeah, I, I grew up in the Detroit area, so the metro Detroit area, about 40 minutes from the city, and I moved to Kalamazoo for college. I studied theater arts, and then after that, decided to move to New York because I wanted to be a director, and very quickly kind of got distracted by food. <laughs> it was right around the time when food blogs were becoming really popular back in like 2006, 2007. And so while I was kind of half-heartedly pursuing theater and, you know, working three jobs to pay my rent, I started filming a cooking show out of my apartment and putting my videos up on YouTube, basically teaching myself how to cook and bake recipe by recipe 
recipe by recipe, week by week. And I did about over 100 episodes of that before I decided to kind of get into the professional field. Well, first of all, let's just, let me just stop you there. You're a total, you're a total pioneer. I mean, here you are not, you know, doing something that is obviously helping you yourself build a skill, but you're utilizing YouTube in a way that, you know, I think a lot of people um, now turn to YouTube for, you know, cooking videos, learning how to do things, but you were doing that 15 years ago, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if people actually learned anything from my videos because they were very, (laughs) very silly. Um, But, but yeah, I, I think it was a different time and it's really cool to see how that genre has taken off on YouTube and TikTok because, you know, I grew up watching, you know, all the classic Food Network shows and was really influenced by that as a kid, just by enjoying Mm -hmm. them for entertainment purposes, but then also for all of the things I was learning. So to be able to kind of do that myself was super fun. Sure. Now, what made you turn from your interest in food to baking specifically? I think I was always into baking the most. And I actually always really liked making pies. And it was the thing that I would make on my day off, but I made them so infrequently that I didn't really have a great skill developed. But then when I, um, was done with my cooking show, I got a job at Milk Bar behind the counter in in the original East Village location. And from there, I kind of like moved my way back into the kitchen. I was a really big fan. And so I got to learn professional baking on, you know, a much larger scale. And that was a good indicator to me that I wanted to kind of continue down that path that it wasn't like I just liked making, you know, a little bit of cookies or a little bit of pie, but I, I liked kind of being in the kitchen and making things in bulk and working with the team. Sure. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so what happened after your time, uh, at, at milk bar? Um, I mean, you know, which everybody now, I mean, that's like a household name as well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And they've, you know, I think I was there during a time when they were just sort of beginning their growth and now Mm -hmm. you can get their stuff in target. So it, you know, it's, it's had massive growth in the past, you know, 10, 12 years. And so for me, one of the coolest things that happened while I was there was I got an opportunity to, to work two weeks, um, in Michigan actually. So David Chang offered a scholarship program to anyone who worked in the Momofuku company to apply, to go spend two weeks wherever they wanted. I mean, you had to kind of like get your way there and set up the internship, but you would make your pay that you made, you know, wherever you worked within the Momofuku company. And so I actually came back to Michigan. I think I was already itching to come back here a little bit and worked at a couple of bakeries that had triple bottom line missions. Explain what that is for folks that might not know. A triple bottom line is the answer to traditional business speak of a bottom line for businesses that are concerned about being sustainable and kind of good citizens in their business community. And so um, traditionally in business speak, the bottom line refers to the profit. So all decisions go back to the bottom line, but with the triple bottom line, you're also considering people and planet and weighing them more equally with profit with the idea that if you do that and you take care of your employees and give them good mm-hmm. benefits and good wages and you, you know, prioritize recycling and compost and not wasting food, mm-hmm. that those are just a couple of things, the tip of the iceberg. If you do those things, you're also maximizing your financial health, 
because you have longevity and you're not having to constantly, you know, retrain people and hire more people and figure yep. out how to, you know, save money with food waste. Um, so that was really inspiring to me. And I decided from there that I wanted to come to Detroit where these types of businesses were already in existence and kind of join that. Mm -hmm. And what was your experience um, in those, in those, what, few weeks that you were back in the Detroit area? Yeah, the experiences were great. And I think I, I really found a community there that I was interested in being a part of. And so I just spent another year in Brooklyn after that and moved into my parents' house in my childhood bedroom in 2012. And since it was right around Thanksgiving, I thought, well, I'll just start with pie. And then, of course, I remembered that my younger sister and I called each other Sister Pie in college. And so it all kind of came together. And I made 40 pies for family and friends out of, out of my parents' kitchen for that first Thanksgiving and kind of spent that first year developing the business at home and taking a business class and meeting other food entrepreneurs in the city. Then I spent a year in a commercial kitchen in Midtown Detroit. And then in 2015, opened Sister Pie in the West Village, which is a little neighborhood on the east side of Detroit that's called the West Village because it's west of another neighborhood. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And I got to yeah. ask, how did your parents take to the fact that you're like, you know what, I'm going to move back into the house after being you know, in New York City and I'm just going to like roll up and make 40 pies and continue to make pies in your kitchen until something sticks? How, how'd that go over? Oh my God, they were 100% for it. They were trying to get me to move back to Michigan pretty much the moment that I left. <laughs> so I think they were like, whatever you want to do, you can do it. And they were really helpful. I, I remember my mom, you know, creating ingredients spreadsheets for me. And my dad's oh. a small business owner too. He uh, has been running a plywood company in the city of Detroit for the past, well, for longer than I've been born um, or for longer than I've been alive. So I kind of had that, you know, small business spirit in my blood and they were so happy and, and they still are super supportive, you know, 10 years later. So I'm really, really grateful for that. And I know that a lot of people when they're starting their businesses are starting them while working a full-time job and it's really tough. And I was super privileged to be able to start my business, you know, while living with them. And of course, you know, we had our, you know, moments where I felt like I was a teenager again, but for the most sure. part, it was pretty good. Well, that's that is the best you could possibly hope for. It sounds like, um, and and you know, as as you're telling me a little bit about the story, um, and opening up, uh, you know, finally, you know, going from a commercial kitchen to a brick and mortar store makes me think a little bit about you know some of the renaissance in. Uh, in Cleveland, you know, I, I'm from, you know, Northeastern Ohio and, you know, people have, uh, you know, come back younger people um, because of cost of living and because of, you know, a more affordable cost of rent and things of that nature to open businesses and really grow and, and you know, have sparked um, new kind of creative communities in places like, you know, Tremont and uh, Ohio City, just off the top of my head in Cleveland and making me think of, of you know, maybe it's, you have a, had a similar experience in Detroit, you know, bookending that with being in New York City, you know, uh, how was your experience, you know, opening and growing a business at a place like Detroit? Um, and do you think that being in a Midwestern city, you know, really kind of made that more possible than maybe being in a place like New York? I don't think I ever wanted to open a business in New York because 
at the time, I didn't really have my community of like-minded bakers and small business owners. And maybe I was sort of itching to get back to Michigan. So I was already a little bit predisposed Mm -hmm. to that, but I definitely felt and, and witnessed this community of folks who had been living in Detroit for a long time, but also, you know, folks who were newer to the city who were kind of banding together to, to create businesses that were really thoughtful and really focused on the community. And there are certainly a lot of challenges within that. And not everyone's always on the same page, especially when you're looking at a city that has a history of a lot of, um, you know, sort of like white flight and people leaving the city and disinvesting from the city. And so then you have people coming back, the same people whose parents and grandparents left. And so there's a lot of room for conflict and disagreement. And so I think what's been really cool to be a part of is like the conversations where you can figure out, you know, how to respect people and how to, you know, show up in a city that you haven't really spent a lot of time in and see if your business can fit there and kind of be able be able to be open and willing to ask those questions and to really consider more than just yourself. And I think that, you know, is something that I can say after 10 years of experience. But when I first moved to Detroit, I definitely had more of the perspective of like, oh, I could do whatever I want here. You know, this isn't New York. This is Detroit. And looking back, that was like a very naive way of me looking at it. But really Mm -hmm. what was so cool is that Detroit, you know, wanting businesses to kind of open and grow had so many entrepreneurial resources available and still, you know, they still do here. So, you know, business classes that are offered at a really great price and different sort of organizations that kind of incubate businesses along the way and contests where you can win grant money. And so it felt like all these people are rooting for me. And so, I can do this. And I I felt really inspired to do it by both, you know, the people who were kind of building this framework of support and then my peers. Right. Right. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that the triple bottom line operations kind of were already, you know, established in Detroit. And that's one of the reasons why you, you know, or at least in like the Michigan area, and that's one of the things that attracted you back there. Do you think that there's something about sort of the I don't know, Midwestern community ethos that um, has made, you know, communities like yours focus more on, you know, reinvesting in the community and, um, you know, fair wage and and all these other aspects that, you know, are both good business practices, but also good stewardship. I don't know. I mean, I definitely see more of that happening across the country now. And I definitely saw some of that early on in like San Francisco, where I, I, you know, visited and was really inspired by the sort of worker-owned cooperatives and those styles of businesses that existed in the food com- communities there. And so I think there's, you know, different places where it happens, but I think in a city like Detroit, where there has been a lot of change and a lot of movements to, you know, kind of redefine what the city is at this point, so many years after a lot of that sort of disinvestment that I was, you know, referring to, I think that people, a lot of folks want to take this as an opportunity to do things differently as a way to say, Hey, you know, I'm bringing my business here. I'm starting fresh. 
just something that I was kind of curious about because, you know, I'm, I'm always, I find having talked to person after person, you know, for this program and, and, you know, living in the Midwest and being a Midwest native myself, uh, you know, you do find that there are certain kind of commonalities and characteristics. Um, you know, some of them I think are, are sometimes stereotyped rightly or wrongly, but, but, you know, you do, you know, see, at least in, in my experience, I, I've noticed, you know, uh, these commonalities of community and, um, stewardship and, you know, putting, you know, making sure that, that people are taken care of as a priority. Um, and you know, all of those kind of things, you know, people talk about being Midwest nice. I just kind of feel like, you know, yeah. maybe that's just part, maybe that's just part of it. Maybe it's subconscious. I don't yeah. know. But. <laughs> yeah. That totally, that totally makes sense. And I think sometimes I, I hesitate to like group the whole Midwest as being like Midwest nice, but I mean, people are really nice here. And I think that um, there is sort of an energy of like less about competition and more about mm-hmm. how can we create space for everyone to be here. And yeah. that's sort of what I get really excited about when I think about, you know, having my business in Detroit and working with other businesses, like we can support each other. It doesn't have to be like, oh, you make pie too? Well, then I don't want to be close to you or, you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. It's it's collaboration over competition, which is totally. a, great, it's a, a great, you know, spirit to, to have in a community for sure. Now I, I want to turn our attention just, you know, since we've been talking all about kind of a, a number of different things, but we haven't really talked about the, the pie itself. Um, mm-hmm. and we got to talk about it. Um, so I, you know, how, what, how do you come up with your pie recipes? Do you experiment? Do you have go-to recipes that are, you know, handed down a little bit of both? My original recipe inspiration really comes from the seasons of Michigan. It's the second most agriculturally diverse state in the whole country. And for pie, that's a really wonderful thing because you can put fruits and vegetables in pie, like pretty much all the fruits and vegetables you can think of can somehow translate into a pie. And so that's kind of where my recipe development usually begins. And so I would say that over the years, both in my, you know, professional career, actually working in kitchens and then doing my cooking show and pouring over cookbooks and, and, you know, TV shows and food blogs, I've learned a lot of, you know, methods and traditional methods and been able to apply them to what I do. And then my flavor development is really inspired by Michigan. And then also just by things that I love to eat and add to, to different pies and cookies, like um, different types of flour, like buckwheat flour, spelt, mm-hmm. uh, herbs, citrus, nuts, seeds, you know, pretty much all of these really delicious things. And my goal with creating the recipes is that there's something familiar about it. So pie, for example, it looks like a pie, you know, but there might be something a little bit different than what you're used to having. And I want people to have kind of a unique experience. That's uh, that's so much fun. I love that kind of new take um, on something that is familiar. So, you know, that sort of experimental riff, uh, it sounds like. And, you know, um, and then, of course, being inspired by the the seasons and the bounty of Michigan. Um, also fantastic. I, I'm a huge fan of the Michigan cherry. So, you know, I, I I'm going to have to get up there and try something that you have involving cherries. I'm assuming you do. Um Oh yes, every July if we're lucky. <laughs> love it, love it. I'm gonna have to keep my eye peeled. Um, 
so uh, do you make things that are not pies? Yes, yes, tons of things. We make cookies, shortbreads, muffins, scones, savory hand pies, which is technically pie. Um, <laughs> even today, we made tuna sandwiches. <laughs> so we kind of, you know, are a little bit all over the place, but we we like to have a, a pretty diverse spread of baked goods. Well, that's, I mean, I'm sure that helps to have a, a bit of variety, uh, keeping people coming back for one thing or another, whether it's pie or some other kind of baked goods or tuna, or tuna sandwich, whatever, whatever <laughs> is uh, bringing, bringing people in the door. What's your vision for um, the future of Sister Pie? Well, that's a very good question because it's, it's very close to happening. I mean, not exactly, but basically we're in a building right now on the corner of Parker and Kerchival in the West Village, and we are able to now expand into the back of that building. So we're going to gain an additional thousand square feet or so, which is a smaller expansion than I had originally been planning. But after going through the pandemic as a business, I'm pretty passionate about staying as small as we can. And yeah. so we're going to build a, a dedicated classroom. We teach baking classes like probably six times a month. And so we'd like to do those a lot more and be able to host weekend classes and daytime classes and kids classes. And so we're going to build this extra kitchen that will function as a classroom, but also as more kitchen space for us when it's not being used as a classroom. And so really to just sort of continue what we're doing, but a little bit more of it. So be able to expand our savory menu, um, do more classes, and then kind of in tandem with the classes I'm getting ready to start working on my second cookbook. Ooh, uh, any breaking news for, for <laughs> <Mr>. <laughs> on? <laughs> not, no, it's not like official official. I still have, I written the proposal and I'm, you know, my agent and I are like kind of going over the draft of it soon. And so we haven't sent it to my publisher yet or anything like that. So it's not official official, but I have a table of contents and a lot of people on Instagram who are excited uh, and people who take the classes, that's kind of one of the top questions is when is the next cookbook coming out? So mm -hmm. I've been kind of ready for that for a while. And that's kind of one of the great things about having a bakery is that all of the recipes are kind of there for me. I just have to scale them down and test them. You know, there's still quite a lot of work to do, but it's these things that people have been able to like either see on the internet or come into the shop and try. And they're so ready to try baking it at home. And I get really excited about that too. Well, and it's exciting that you're willing to, you know, share your talents and give people the tools to actually go home and try to make them on their own, which is awesome. Yeah. And I think that's one of the benefits of my sort of non-traditional culinary education, because I did, you know, kind of have a hodgepodge of experiences. And then really my, my main pie experience was just through practicing for sister pie. And pie is such a practice, just kind of like Yo, bread. Yeah. You know, you really have to do it over and over again to really understand what's happening. And so the way that I talk about it is very unique to me and my experience and learning. And so I think that has translated well to teaching others. Well, I hope to have a chance to take one of your classes. And I am, you know, definitely keeping my eye peeled out for whenever the official, non-official, official cookbook uh, might, uh, you know, hit the shelves. 
Um, Lisa, it's been a pleasure to speak with you and best of luck for you at Sister Pie and the rest of your endeavors. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful to chat. Don't go away. We have to pause for a break, but we'll be back with more from my conversation with Chef Grace Gowdy from Scratchboard Kitchen. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. You've been listening to Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm Capri Cafaro. This hour, I've been speaking with two women putting their own stamp on the Midwestern culinary scene. I'm back now with our second guest, Chef Grace Gowdy from Scratchboard Kitchen in Chicago. Grace, we are very happy to have you on the program. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, as I just mentioned in, in the brief intro, you are an executive chef, and oftentimes, as we see, uh, you know, chefs on TV and hear about kind of the, the restaurant scene, there seems to, you see and hear about a lot of you know male-dominated kitchens. Um, this is this is a a this is you, a woman, um, running a kitchen in a restaurant, and uh, that's a big deal. It certainly is. Yeah, um, you know especially these days, you know, and especially when I started out my career, I walked into the kitchen and I was certainly the only female um, in that kitchen. And, um, you know, it is something I'm very proud of to be continuing on and um, thriving in this uh, profession, but being female because we are more of the minority. Mm -hmm. How did you get started? Um, You know, particularly, you know, as we just kind of touched upon, it is a relatively at least, you know, historically a male dominated field. It is. Yeah. So getting started in this industry is, you know, goes way back for me. I, as a child, had a great interest in food and eating and anything that surrounded that, that a child could get their hands on. And then I started in middle school doing a home economics class and just became very interested in what a recipe was and what involved in in creating a recipe and um, not just eating the food, but seeing how that food was created. So from there, you know, at the age of 11 or 12, I came home and said, I'm going to be a chef. And, you know, many kids probably say that. So my parents kind of laughed at me and I continued on and still held this interest until I was 18. At that point, then went to college, studied um, communications and uh, with a focus in food and wine. And then from there, headed to Napa to go to culinary school. So it's kind of been an interest my whole life, turned hobby, turned into a just giant passion and drive of mine that I turned into my career. That's uh, a 
a fantastic path into this. I mean, you never know. People take, you know, different routes into their careers. And, um, you know, it seems like that passion for food, for cooking and that creative side of it as well, that recipe development um, really has been something that has been with you almost from day one. Um, so after you ended up being, uh, you know, going out to Napa and going to culinary school, did you stay out in California or um, did you go on and, and do training in other places? I did. Yeah. So being from Chicago, um, going out to California was kind of just a little adventure of mine. I had planned on being there for, you know, just the time of school, which was about a year. And then my plans were to come back to Chicago and work at restaurants here. Um, so after I graduated my culinary program, I decided to stage at a couple places in Napa Valley just to gain some experience. And I staged at one of Thomas Keller's restaurants, which I thought was mm-hmm. incredibly cool at the time. Um, you know, still is very cool, but I decided just to do the stage just to kind of see what it was like with no intention of taking a job there. I walked into the kitchen that day at the restaurant I started at, which was ad hoc. And I just fell in love with how he runs his kitchens and the passion people have and the professionalism upheld in those kitchens. And it was a no brainer. I was offered a job on the spot and without even thinking about it, I accepted it. And that moment completely changed my life and my career trajectory. Um, so yeah, so after culinary school, I ended up staying in Napa for a couple more years and, uh, learned and studied under Thomas Keller and really just shaped myself into the chef I am today. Wow. And what, what kind of lessons did you bring with you and, and I guess back to Chicago eventually? Yeah. So, you know, working in Thomas Keller kitchens, um, and experiencing what he has to offer, obviously you learn about food. That's, you know, what a chef is, is we cook food, but, the more valuable items I learned um, working in the Thomas Kelly restaurant group was more things that did not involve food um, from how to conduct yourself in a professional setting, whether, you know, even if it, even though it is a kitchen and kitchens tend to be casual and unprofessional at times, he really drove it hard in us that you need to be professional and you need to carry yourselves in certain ways um, in order to gain success and to be, you know, successful in the kitchen. So I think just the number one is the professionalism. Um, and then, you know, he really helps young cooks get um, get their foundations down and foundations from the mechanics, how to move in a kitchen, how to speak in a kitchen, communicate in the kitchen, um, just everything that they don't teach you in school is really what I learned. And I learned his way of doing it, which, you know, if you know about Thomas Keller, he really drives home perfectionism and, you know, learning everything in the kitchen in order to strive for absolute perfectionism. I can imagine that is an an incredible uh, learning experience, but could also get a bit maybe overwhelming and frustrating at times, at least for some. It does. I found as somebody who is very hard on themselves, as a lot of chefs are, it, it I carry it with me today and it helps, it does help drive me forward and helps me become better because I look at myself that way as well. And, um, you know, in my career, it's helped me be, get the success I do have because I'm so hard on myself and try to you know, garner that perfectionism. As I've seen very quickly, perfectionism isn't ever achievable. Nothing is perfect. And learning how to be flexible at the same time is incredibly important. Sure, sure. I mean, those are 
you know, I think lessons for the kitchen and lessons for life, right? Absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't be outside of the kitchen. I would not be the person I am today had I not become a chef. I can imagine. And and then, but you, you also had some unconventional, I guess, experience too, like literally out in the world, around the world, right? I did. Yeah. So after I worked at Ad Hoc, I went onto the French Laundry for a bit. And after that, decided to take a year and travel. Um, so I took all of 2019 and traveled around the world, cooked around the world, ate around the world, and just learned so many things about different cultures and the way they approach food and how food is quite literally their life and their livelihood. Um, and that year I learned just so much about how to approach food and how different each culture approaches food and just gained a lot of a lot more respect for what was on the table. Sure. Where did you go? So we started in Thailand um, and just ate our way through the streets in Thailand. It, you know, that specific trip really just changed the way I look at things. Um, you know, a lot of people in Thailand don't have a lot, but they have food and that's what brings them together. And just the beauty they look at and like to them, food is almost, um, you know, religious in a sense. Um so, you know, just seeing how the people in Thailand just approach food and what it is to them just was so eye-opening to me. After Thailand, we came back for a couple of months and every time we'd travel, we'd come back for a little bit, do some private chef um, events in Chicago to get some more money. And then we'd go back some, to another country or somewhere else. So after Thailand, then we spent the summer in Italy where we lived in a farmhouse, like quite literally out of the movies lived in a farmhouse and helped this lady we had met um, run her cooking school. So she taught people how to cook Italian cuisine. And then she also would do various events um, in the villas nearby. So we lived on her property, um, tended to her farm, and spent the whole summer just learning and loving Italian cuisine. It was, you know, a, a summer I'll never forget. Um, it was very, very hot, but it was worth every every little sweat that I had. Um, and then from there, we did kind of the Nordics area um, and uh, hopped around Europe. So really saw like a couple different parts of the world, which was, you know, as I said, really life changing. And then you still decided to come back to Chicago. Why? I did. Well, I was I was raised in Chicago. I'm one of five. And my, most of my family is here. So, yeah. you know, I'm a, definitely a family person. So that's really partly what brought me back to Chicago. I had also connected with um, an individual. Her name is Danielle. While I was traveling, I had taken, when I was back home, a meeting in October of 2019 with Danielle. And she had told me about this concept she had been dreaming up um, of a restaurant in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, far, she wanted it to be farm to table and brunch focused. And, you know, in the initial meeting, I was like, oh, that's cool. Went to another country, came back. And January of 2020, I was looking for jobs and I had interviewed and gotten jobs at a couple of different restaurants in the city. And then Danielle just randomly after one of the stages I did um, reached back out and was like, I'm still doing this if you're interested. So I took another meeting and as I do on the spot, pretty much took the job without really thinking about <laughs> it. Um, because what I had thought about was at that time I was 27 years old and being offered this incredible opportunity to 
lead my own restaurant, which at that age is not very common. And to have full Mm -hmm. creative control, which is something I missed while being in fine dining, was having that creative control. So I dove right in as I do with things. And we opened the restaurant in April of 2020. And it's the rest is kind of history. And that's what's kind of kept me in Chicago. That's, that's, uh, it sounds like you have really, uh, you know, drawn together so many different types of experiences, um, to come back and, you know, have that opportunity to, um, utilize that creative freedom as your canvas, uh, with food. What have you seen over the years, um, you know, between sort of the, the start of your career and where you're at now, how has your food style evolved? Yeah. So food style is something I've always had trouble with, not because it's, you know, being hard on yourself, but I think mainly because it's essentially your voice and you have to find that and you have to find that through experience. And even since opening the restaurant, my food voice has changed so much as well. And I think a lot of it goes back to learning about yourself and learning about what you want to offer the world. Um, So, you know, in all of this, I know one thing I love is cooking, cooking from the land and cooking from what the land offers us. And that's something I fell in love with while in California is that farm to table ideology. Um, You know, and out there, farm to table wasn't necessarily a word that got tossed around too much because it was just what was done. It was normal. Whereas in Chicago, everyone kind of plays around with that farm to table word, um, whether it's a good way to market or whatnot. But coming back to Chicago, I always knew that farm to table and that idea was always something that was super important to me. So that's kind of the base I took to find my my voice in, in culinary world. From there, growing up, my parents always made it super important that meals were to be shared with our big family around a table, always a circle table. And, um, you know, meals evoked stories and memories. And from that, growing up that way, I knew that food brought out special emotions in people. And I knew that a lot of the stuff I create is very nostalgic and plays upon memories of my past and others' past. So although that's not necessarily a um, cuisine, it has inspired and drives my food. And to this day, I still use that nostalgic and storytelling point of view to inspire my food. Um, if you were to pick a cuisine for my food, you know, it's very French technique driven and Eurocentric um, with little pops of flavor from where I've traveled. So I tend to kind of find ingredients I like through my eating and traveling and use those little ingredients as flavor additives to my food. So I'm not necessarily saying I'm cooking fusion cuisine, but I'm using things that have inspired me from around the world in my very Eurocentric and French technique driven food. Mm-hmm. I, I I love this concept that you have uh, highlighted about, um, you know, nostalgia and memories and, you know, drawing from, um, you know, the, that concept of nostalgia um, and how your family and upbringing has, has influenced that. Is, are, um, do you come from a specific ethnicity that, you know, in any way, shape or form has uh, impacted, you know, the flavors that sometimes you choose? Yeah, so I, growing up, um, I'm Czechoslovakian. My grandfather um, was Czechoslovakian, and he was one of the driving factors in why I became interested in the kitchen. Um, he was a cook by by hobby more so. He always wished he could be a chef. He was an engineer, so I guess you could say he had that kind of 
engineering creative mind to him. Um, but he cooked a ton of, you know, Central European food being Czechoslovakian. So I grew up eating a lot of pork and dumplings and sauerkraut um, and, you know, more of that country food um, from Czechoslovakia. So a lot of my food does have that Central European influence, you know, from a schnitzel to a nice braise um, and kind of taking, you know, little cues from my grandfather and, you know, eating a lot of fermented foods and all that. So I am very inspired and influenced by my Czechoslovakian background. Um, but I wouldn't say I'm necessarily just cook that food. I take a lot of the memories from eating that food and put it into my cuisine. Well, I, I just, I love this concept. And I think that, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that food is so much more than just nutrients or nourishment or, you know, sitting down and, and you know, eating because you got to eat. It, it captures so much more, um, you know, whether it's it's culture, it's history, it's nostalgia, it's, uh, you know, it sparks these emotions um, and, and memories that, you know, other, you know, that, that I think are pretty unparalleled. Food has a very special power. And it sounds like you take that kind of um, perspective into the kitchen that you run. Grace, what do you see uh, for, for your future? Loaded question. Um, I feel like I get asked that so much and I'm a very much a goal setter and I love setting goals and achieving them. Um, and, you know, as for my future, I see myself continuing in the restaurant world. It's kind of a world I'm addicted to in a way. Never thought I'd be in the restaurant world this long, having started at the age of 15. Um, but it's something I see myself continuing in and, you know, opening another restaurant. I call it kind of my more precious re restaurant, something that's dinner focused, small menu, very farm driven, um, and just really hones in on that nostalgia and um, cuisine I, I spoke upon. Um, and another thing I see myself continuing doing is, you know, I do have this journalism background. Um, so, you know, a another huge love of mine is sharing what I know and teaching through my online website. So I do a lot of video based content and I love just the teaching aspect of it. I actually do teach two cooking classes a month at our local library. And I just love sharing my gift and my skills with people through that medium. So I do see myself continuing that. And then I have competed in a couple cooking competitions this last year on the Food Network. So I do see myself doing uh, more of that and more competition cooking um, because that is, you know, something that has been really exciting and something I've actually surprisingly enjoyed. Well, you have a ton of enthusiasm and, uh, you know, a lot of talent and um, I think the sky is the limit for you. I'm so glad we had a chance to connect and, uh, you know, tell your story to our audience who uh, I hope will have a chance, myself included, to come visit you in the suburbs of Chicago, because I think what you're doing just sounds, uh, you know, really um, inspiring and delicious. So, you know, you can't go wrong with those two things. Grace Gowdy, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Capri. You've been listening to Eat Your Heartland Out. This episode was produced by me, Capri Cafaro. Our audio engineers are Liam Warner and Armin Spengen. Theme music by Jason Shaw. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.